continuing our series this morning. We've called This Is Us. We've been talking about um, real challenges that real families face and how to face them. So I'm really glad that you're here today. Last week we talked about marriage. Uh, next week we'll talk about marriage again. This week we're talking sort of through the lens of parenting and family relationship. And I want to give you, we're doing everything we can do. We're calling this Real Help for Real Families. So we're doing everything we can do to help you strengthen as a family. So I want to tell you about a resource. Maybe you saw this on my Facebook page a couple days ago. This morning I posted the link in case you missed it or maybe you, you know, in case you missed what I'm about to say, you can go to my Facebook page and get it. It's 7daychallenge.com. If you'll go to 7daychallenge.com, it is a free resource. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, our families work through two or three of them. And what it does is it uh, gives you an opportunity to take a very short, effective assessment as a family and to try to assess how healthy your family is in seven areas. Relationship, communication, physical, work-life, integration, community, financial, and spiritual. And so it assesses your family's health, and then it gives you a short video clip, one a day for seven days. They'll, they'll email it, put it in your box, or you can get it, get it through, the, um, uh, through the portal on the website. But it gives you a short video, about 10, 15 minutes is the longest one we've seen so far. And uh, then, it, then it gives you just a, uh, something you can do, one thing you can do with that information in each area. So they've taken a nationally recognized expert in those seven fields, and that expert is giving you 10 or 15 minutes of their best stuff on whatever area it is. And then you take a few minutes as a family and talk about it. You know, how are we doing? How, how, how are we doing at communication? How's our family doing uh, financially? How's our family doing with our physical health? You know, it gives you practical areas. So my encouragement to you is to take the tool. Uh, maybe your family's like ours. We can't do seven days in a row. We're just too busy of a family. It may take 10 days. may take 12. may take 15. doesn't matter. But you can, you can do that in a pretty short amount of time. Take about 20, 25 minutes. Watch the video and then have a conversation. And you'll be surprised the little things can make big differences over time. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, because we're just trying to give you everything we can give you to help you. Now, today as we talk about real help for real families, I was reminded of this crazy event that happened in my life when I was a young kid. Um, and I remember it because I was, I was uh, scarred by it. Now, and I, I want to I warn you, uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is graphic, okay? This, this illustration is, uh, you know, you have to have a strong stomach for this. I'm just going to warn you. It's going to be more than you think. So let you know. When I was a kid... Uh, I was about eight or nine years old. My, my, my mom came to put me to bed, as she often did. And she's the most loving, sweet, kind, tender person you've ever met in your life. Can't hurt a flea if she wants to. And she came to put me to bed, as she always does, said, I love you. And I don't know why. I don't know what evil rose. I don't know what demon possessed me that night. But I decided I wanted to say something mean to her. I don't know why. She'd never been mean to me. And she said, good night, I love you. And I remember I said, good night, witch. <laughs> see? See what, so you feel that? See what I'm saying? And I thought that my dad was way on the other side of the house. He was not. <laughs> or the house was closer than I thought as a child. You know how your kid, house is always bigger as a child? Well, I didn't think my dad could hear that, and I didn't even think about it. And all I remember, you know those big recliners that you put the arm, and you hear the, the, the foot flop down? I heard that thing flop down. He didn't say a word. I heard it flop down, and I heard footsteps coming. I went, oh, no. 
Oh, no, this is the end of the world. And he never said a word, never said a word, walked into the bedroom, snatched me out of bed in my pajamas, took his belt off, and beat the daylights out of me. Now, some of you are like, good. Okay, all right, I, I hear you. But I just say that to say, I don't know why I did, I just say that to say, there are about as many different opinions in this room on how you ought to parent a moment like that as there are people. So what could we say this morning that's not controversial about parenting? Because talking about parenting is kind of like talking about politics. Now, would you agree this morning, let's start with a point of agreement, God is perfect. Now, m most of us would, maybe not everybody. Lift your hand. Would you agree? If you agree, if you don't, you don't have to. God's perfect. Okay, good, good. Do you know that the Bible calls God Father and calls us sons and daughters? So the Bible paints a picture of God as a parent. Now, if God is perfect and God is like a parent, then he is a perfect parent. Now, would you agree that if you and I could treat our kids as parents the way that God treats us as sons and daughters, how many of you think we'd be pretty good parents? Yes? Sure, sure. Okay. So the question then is, how does God treat his sons and daughters? How does he treat his sons and daughters? Well, before we get there, I want to give you the four stages of parenting because I just want you to sort of identify what stage you're in, your child is in, or if you're not a parent, maybe one day you will be and you can see it coming, or, or maybe you can look back or maybe you can look at your parents and see what they were going through or are going through in, in what stage you're in. So here's how it works. The four stages of parenting are like bases in baseball. If you skip second and go to third, you can't advance. you got to go back and touch second again. You can't really skip any stage because you've missed something and it will catch up with you. So here's the first stage, discipline. That's birth, to, we're just calling that stage discipline. That's the discipline stage, uh, birth to five years old. Probably the most important stage this is the stage where the primary goal is to, uh, is to establish that you, the parent, have the right to lead the child. That's what the stage is about. And the task is to get control of the child so that you can effectively influence and train them for the future. Now, these uh, age ranges aren't, you know, perfect. Some kids will be a little early, a little late, or whatever, but you can kind of identify the season. All right, the second stage is training. Somewhere around 6 to 12 years old, you're right by their side, you're training them. You're trying to give them more opportunity. At any time, you can call a timeout, and you can pull them away and pause the game and give further instruction. If you've done the discipline stage well, this stage will not be a battle because you've already established who the leader is. Now, the third stage is coaching. That's somewhere around 13 to 19 years old. That's when the kid is in the game of life themselves. They're without you, and they're making choices without you, some of which you don't even know about and won't find out for years later because they're not going to tell you. But they, they are out there. You're on the sideline. Every now and then you can huddle up and talk again, but it's too late to ever. You can't just withdraw them from the game and stop the game and call a long extended timeout and straighten things out. Life's going to keep moving. It's not going to work that way. Now, they're learning to call the plays themselves, they're learning to make their own decisions, and you're an active resource coaching them. 
hey, think about this, think about that. Have you considered this? Let me challenge that idea that you think is a good idea. Let me give you some reasons I don't think it's a good idea. And so you're coaching them. Now, the last uh, stage is friendship. That's somewhere around 20, 20 and up, probably a little uh, later now than in generations past. But this stage is the goal, and watch this, and the reward for doing the other stages well. It's a reward. When the other stages were handled well, then this friendship occurs and builds, and the parent-child relationship doesn't cease to exist. It just enters into a new stage. Now, beware, parents. There, all of us as parents are tempted to skip one of the other stages and go to friendship because it feels better, right? But, but the thing is, at each stage, your friend doesn't need a buddy your friend needs a parent. And so you have to be the disciplinarian, the coach, the tr whatever the stage calls for, that's the role you need to fill in that stage in order to effectively get to friendship. Uh, but if you, if you skip second, second's going to call your name. You're going to get out. Something's going to happen. Uh, I can remember when one of our boys was, was about three. Now look, give me some grace. I was young and, you know, just learning this parenting thing and Probably was a little strong, but you'll get the point. I remember we, we were disagreeing. He, he was wanting to do something he shouldn't do, and I wasn't going to let him do it. And, and I said, no. And he said, that's it. That put, that's it. Put his hand on it. That's it. We're not friends anymore. And I, I just leaned up in his face and looked at him and went, ha, 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 I don't care. I'm not your friend. I'm never going to be your friend. I'm your dad. And I don't need your approval to be your dad. Now that might be a little strong. But what I was trying to say was, you're not going to manipulate me with approval to get what you want. And he kind of went, <laughs> and I never heard it again. You know, they're like 19 and 15. Never heard it again. That all went away. All I mean by that is to say, you can't skip the stages. Everybody wants to be friends with their kids. And I guess what I should have said is, one day we will be friends, but it's not today. It's not today. Um, so the question is, how does God treat his sons and daughters? Well, here it is. God is the perfect parent and gives us unconditional love and clear limits. God is the perfect parent and gives us unconditional love and clear limits. Love and limits. That balance is critical and God's the only one that does it perfectly. So every child is born with two questions in their soul. One question is, am I really loved? Is there somebody that really loves me? The second question that every child has is, can I always get my own way? Parents, can I always get my own way? Now God goes to extraordinary lengths to communicate to us that he loves us unconditionally and that he won't let us always have our own way because our own way is not always best for us and for everybody else. So let's talk about the first one, love. In John chapter 21, uh, this story's kind of culminated between one of Jesus' uh, closest followers and him, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was one of the inner three, if you know that story, 
and he was one of Jesus' closest followers. And when, when Jesus came to one of the most challenging parts of his life, the apostle Peter backed up and rejected him and said, you know, I don't know him, I don't know who he is, I don't want to be associated with him, and even started cursing. If you look in the language, even started cursing. I don't know who this is, don't associate me with him. Now, probably it's true that the, the most painful things you and I endure in life is the rejection of those who love us the most, right? That's the most personal pain. And so the equivalent of this would probably be like one of us who are married taking our ring off and setting it on the counter and not divorcing, not separating, just walking outside the home and saying, who, me? No, I'm not married. No, no, I'm not married. I'm not married. I've not been married. This person's never... And can you imagine the wound that that would create inside another person's life to say, you mean after all I've done for you, after what I've sacrificed, after what I've gave, you're going to disown that you even know who I am, that I exist? Well, you can begin to feel the emotions that Jesus feels now. And so the big question in everybody's mind was, after what the apostle Peter did, how's Jesus going to react? Well, John 21, 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Well, you know what the obvious question is, then why aren't you acting like it? Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Isn't this the worst question? Don't you think this is the worst question? When, when, you, when you hurt, when you wound, when you reject someone who deeply loves you and, and they look past the offense and they look past the event and they come directly for your heart and they say, authentically and vulnerably, do you, do you really love me? Boy, that's the worst question, isn't it? Because it hurts the most. Because right now, you're not acting like it. Ooh. And I think this whole scene is just pregnant with Jesus implying through all of his actions, because I still love you. I'm not going to let your rejection of me dictate my love for you. I'm going to love you whether you reject me or not. And so you can see this theme all over the Bible. So we call it unconditional love. What is unconditional love? Here it is. Unconditional love, watch, is not a reward for doing the right thing. And it's not a reaction because you loved me first. It's a commitment. And God and Jesus said, whether you reject me or react to me the right way, I'm not, I'm not rewarding you with my love. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God loves us unconditionally. So, what does that mean in the life of a child? Every child needs to know that they are irrationally loved. This isn't measured love. This isn't mathematical love. It's not reasonable love. They need stupid love. That's what I'm calling it. They need stupid love. <laughs> just, just crazy love. They don't need to just be tolerated or put up with or I clothed them and I fed them and that's the best I could do. That's not what they need. They need unconditional, irrational, and stupid love. I, I, I had a complicated relationship with my dad. And having children was a really big deal to me. And so when Stacy and I married, we'd been married a couple years, and she would say to me sometimes, hey, you don't you think it's about time for us to have kids? Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we have kids? And I, 
boy, I really pushed back on that. I said, no, 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 no. And I didn't even know why I was doing it at the time. But, but I, you know, I really pushed back on that. And she, so we kept having this conversation as the months would go by. And I'd say, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. We, we waited almost five years before we had kids. And, and when I got to the bottom of it, I realized that I wasn't ready because I had a lot of fear. I believed that my dad loved me, but he was not good at communicating it. He was not good at, at showing it. And so to me, I could see the damage that could be done to a person when parenting wasn't done very well. And, and I, I couldn't stand the thought that I could do that to somebody else. So I, I, did, I said, I just, I'm not going to have kids then for a while until I figure that out. And so what my fear was is I don't want to have kids. I don't even know if I can be a good dad. So why, why, would, I, why would I do this to another person? So I started reading all kind of books and about parenting and about fatherhood and about being a good dad and you know what that meant. And I began to understand not just the negative but the positive impact of a dad what a dad can do in a person's life. And I didn't want my kids to believe that I love them. I wanted them to know it, if you, if you see the difference I'm saying. So we started some things. We didn't do everything right. I come to you as a person still trying to learn how to parent. I don't, I don't have all the answers. But there were some things that maybe even accidentally we got right. And so we put some things into play when our kids were little. You know, every night we'd, pr we'd pray together. We'd uh, Putting kids to bed wasn't a mom chore, it was mom and dad. We did it together. And every night, you know, especially when they were little, we'd go put them to bed and we'd read out a little picture Bible, a little one-page thing, and then we'd pray and we'd talk. And so uh, every night, and then they got older, we got a little bit bigger Bible and we'd do that. And so every night, I, we'd do everything we could do to communicate. We'd touch them, we would, we would um, we'd tell them we loved them, we would uh, listen. You know, how do you feel about that? What, what, what are you thinking? Did you have a good day today? And we just tried to connect emotionally every day, every day, every day. Because I wanted my kids to know that they were loved. Not just believe it, not just, well, my dad's a good guy, he probably loves me. I didn't want that. I wanted to reevaluate and do something different than that was done to me. And so uh, I heard this somewhere uh, when they were little, and I kind of picked it up every now and then when I'd be putting one of them to bed. I'd go and I'd say, hey, do you know if God took every, uh, we got two sons, so we get to say it this way. If God took every 10-year-old boy on earth and lined them up in front of me and said to me, you can only pick one, which one would you pick? Do you know which one I would pick? And you know, the first time I said they went, oh, I don't know. And I said, you. I'd pick you every time. And we talk like that, you know, throughout their lives. And so we just committed ourselves to show us a much affection and have an emotional connection. And I just didn't want to repeat what was given. Now, all those things didn't come natural to me because I didn't receive all of them. I had to learn some of them. But I've got good news. You can learn them. They're learnable. You can learn them. Nobody had perfect parents, and, I, and my kids don't. But you can learn a lot of the things that you're missing, and, and, and they will grow to know that you really love them. Now, look, this is a little different in our home. Some of you won't understand this, and you'll want to, you know, report me to the police or something after I even say this out loud. But we got boys. So, you know, those of you who don't have boys, you won't get this at all. Some of you boys won't get it much. But, you know, our kids, like, when our kids were younger, you know, 
you look for signs, do they really know I love them? And you know, when they'd be doing something, you know, they're 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, they'd be doing something really aggravating or monotonous or whatever, you know, I'd look at them and say, hey, if you don't stop that right now, I'm going to punch you in the head. I see, some of you don't even understand that. I've never punched my kid in the head. I'm not going to punch my kid in the head. Never punched anybody in the head except in eighth grade once and he deserved it. Never punched anybody else in the head. So I, I'm like, but look, and here's what they do. They look at me and go, I'm going to punch you in the head. And then they usually come run and tackle me, and we play for a while, right? And so after that, I go, okay, they're not afraid. I think they know I love them. It's the playful thing, and, and that's the point. God's the best parent, and he communicates unconditional love to us. But since God's the best parent, he also communicates clear limits. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Scripture teaches us that there's a streak of selfishness in all of us called depravity. How many of you heard the word depravity? You know what the word depravity means. It means there's a streak of selfishness in every one of us, and, and we have to deal with that. And every person on earth is born with it, and ultimately will only overcome that streak through a thriving relationship with Jesus. That's the only way, that's the only cure. This depravity makes every person do foolish things. So Proverbs 22:15 in the contemporary English version says, All children are foolish. How many children are foolish? Even yours? Yes. Your little angel face, you know, God-given bundle of joy. Trust me, you got them long enough, they're going to do something evil. They're going to do something mean. You know why? Because they are evil. They have foolishness in their heart and selfishness in their heart as you and I did and maybe do. But firm correction will make them change. So depravity is part of everyone. It's a parent's job to, to chase it out through limits and discipline and lead their children to Jesus through teaching the right things. Now, I'm always amazed at the things you don't have to teach a child. I've thought about this before. What are some of the things you never have to teach a child and all children cross that bridge eventually? You don't have to teach a child to reach out for a toy, pull it in and say, Mine! Why don't you have to teach that? Well, how does a child know that from birth? You don't have to teach a child to say, no. Now, baby, look, get your shoes on. You know, we're going to be leaving in just a few minutes. They look at you and say, no. Where do they get that? Where do they get that? They are evil, I'm telling you. It's in their soul. I'm, that's what I'm telling you. Nobody teaches that. You don't teach a kid to take. You don't teach a kid to be selfish. You don't teach a kid to be rebellious. But they are. You don't teach a kid to call their loving mom a witch when they put you to bed. But they do. Or I did. I never did again. And I remember my parents later came to me and said, why did you do that? I just, I got nothing. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. I'm evil. I don't know. When I was uh, youth pastoring in Florida, we had a, a, an intern with us. And we'd just gotten back from our beach camp. And that's when super soaker, uh, y'all don't even remember how dumb water guns used to be. It's like... You know, I mean, it's not, you don't even know if it's there. It's like a mister. No, no, no. Super soakers came out. Yeah, you remember this? And you, you felt like unbridled power. And you're like a fireman with a hose. You could blow somebody's head off. It was beautiful. And so these super soakers came out. And we just came back from camp one, one year. And my intern was with me. And we came bopping in, you know, after being on the beach for a week. And we walk in. And um, the choir director, uh, who uh, was at our church, and 
And our pastor happened to be standing right there in the foyer. And she had just put all these beautiful pictures. We had a, a huge Easter production. And they had taken professional pictures and got them all done right. And she just put a big collage of them, kind of spaced them out there. Really, really nice. Right, right there. And we walk in, and, and my buddy's got his super soaker with him, you know, my intern. He's just looking crazy. And I look over, and I thought, what is running? And he just opens that thing up and hoses that whole Easter display down. Bam. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. You'd be able to believe it. My pastor was the nicest guy that ever lived, but he had a limit. <laughs> and by the way, the choir director was his wife. That's right. Not good. And he looked, he said, have you lost your ever-living mind? And I, I didn't know which side I was on. I mean, I knew which side I was on. I was on his side. But I thought, are we going to kill him? What are we going to do with him? You know, I, don't know, I don't know. You know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who is this? I don't know who this is. And so I pulled him away later and I said, what were you thinking? He said, oh, I got nothing. I don't know. I just wasn't thinking. And, and that's how it happens. Look, if you're a parent, you already know what answer your kid's going to give you when you ask them why they did something stupid. I got nothing. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because all children have foolishness in their hearts. They do, and you did, and I did, and the Bible teaches us that discipline and limits drop, drives that out. Now, if we took a, a, an anonymous survey this morning of young families in Shelby County, and we were to ask them, what would you say you were better at, love or limits, what do you think the answer would be? Probably, probably love, right? Parents of young children today seem to be a little better at the love side than the limit side. Now, if you compare that to what happened just a few generations ago, man, it was like uh, discipline was so heavy, right? It was so heavy. I remember, I, look, I, I, there's no confusion in my home whatsoever. I obeyed my dad out of fear, and I'll tell you that to your face today. I was afraid. That man could look at me and grit his teeth, and I saw this look in his eyes, and I would sink into a hole because I knew I was inches from death. And it was over. And that's, that's, the, way it, that's the way it was. I, I, I remember spending the night with a friend. And his older brother's about 14. I was sitting in the living room playing with a yo-yo. And he came, he was about five years older than me, big guy. He just came and took it from me. Started playing it. And his dad saw that and he sprung up off the couch. He grabbed that 14-year-old kid by the neck. He drug him to the back room. He took his belt off and, and I could hear him, ah, ah, and crying and screaming and, and all. And then he went to bed and never saw him again. I don't know if he, you don't know if he killed him. I don't know what happened to him. He never came out. And the dad came out with that yo-yo, and, and his hand still shaking, and he handed it to me, and he said, here. And I was like, it's like blood money. I, I, don't, I don't want it. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't even care. I mean, I'm, man, I remember that night. I remember, nobody talked the rest of the night. I went to bed. Like, I didn't close my eyes all night. I remember I didn't want to cough. I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't want to cross that line. But look, I'm just telling you, uh, that's, that's the way it was. 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was much more common to have heavy discipline watch, but too often lower love. If you go a generation, maybe mine and back, a lot of people were never told they were loved. And they put more emphasis on limits, but not as much on love. And sometimes that heavy-handed discipline calls resentment and rebellion that if you're honest, some of us are still working that out today. But the balance of love and limits is critical. 
Now, I think parents today tend to be getting the love right. Do, doing pretty good. I mean, birthdays are like Broadway productions, you know. Forget Christmas, that's Jesus' birthday. That's the little one. Yours is the big one, you know. Graduation's like a marching band in a parade. I mean, it's huge, you know. It starts before the kids are even born. We have gender reveal parties. You seen this? The kid don't even it didn't exist yet. We're having a party for them. That's how they come in. You know when we used to have those? In labor and delivery. We didn't know what the kid was going to be until he popped out. You'd go to the hospital to find out what gender it was. You'd paint everything neutral. You know, oh, what's in the middle here? Bring that kid home. You don't know what you're bringing home. It's a whole different thing. Now, look, here's all I say to parents today. Hey, great. Keep going. You're doing good. You're doing a pretty good job. Keep showing the love. Keep giving the crazy, stupid love good. I just I have one question. I just wonder, though, if the limits are clear enough. What are the consequences for misbehavior? Do your kids know about those? What about character and spiritual conversations? Do you have those? Hebrews 12 tells us about a time that some of God's children were going the wrong way, turning their back on Christ. And, and it tells us how God responded. I'm going to read maybe a little longer passage than I normally do, but it's so clear, it's so rich. I just want you to hear it from the Father's heart. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, insert foolishness. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is a pretty big deal here. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? This word of encouragement from God addresses you as a father to a son. So we see God here is parent. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Who does God discipline? Only who he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. They didn't get it all right. But God disciplines us for our good. Why does God discipline us for our good? In order that we may share in His holiness. Watch this, last verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time for the child or the parent, but painful. Later on, what does it do? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. What do the limits, what are the appropriate limits produced in your child's life? Righteousness and peace for those who receive it. So, what is discipline? It's training, it's teaching, it's correcting. So what my encouragement to young families today and all families today is to say, you probably have the hardest job as a parent that any parents had maybe maybe in our country's history. There's more forces pulling you away than ever. Most homes, both parents work long hours and you struggle with exhaustion. 
and I just want to give you this encouragement. Do your best not to overcommit because when you do, what will be neglected is good parenting. That's, what, that's where the price will be paid. There won't be time to have spiritual conversations. There won't be time to discipline or teach or correct or encourage or to bond emotionally. There won't be time. And so I just want to encourage you, leave space. And, and, and I want to say, sitting on the sidelines at the sporting event and sitting in the audience of your children's performances is not really good parenting. It's encouraging, it's support, but it's not parenting. So don't make the mistake of, don't mistake activity for parenting. Just because your family's busy and your kids are involved in a lot of things doesn't mean you're a good parent. Just means you're a busy parent. I remember when one of our kids was 11, he, he was wanting to, he just did a sports season and was wanting to do another sports season, a different sport. And I, I remember, I remember saying to him, I said, you know, look, you're 11. And, and I, I know, I know you, I, I've, I've known you all your life, I know you well. I know when you get older, you're going to be a year-round athlete. I know that. So why don't we not start that yet? You're 11. So the rest of this year, I just want you to be 11. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to school, make the best grades you can, and I want you to come home, do your homework, do the chores we get, have given you. And more than anything, I want you to spend a lot of time playing. I want you to ride your bike, and I want you to play, and I want you to hang out with friends, you know, run around the neighborhood. I want you to be 11. And so this year, we're going to spend the rest of the year being 11. It's not going to be real organized. We're not going to have a schedule. I just want you to be a kid. Because when you get older, you're going you're to be grinding it out in these schedules all the time. Let's just don't start that yet. He was disappointed. He didn't like it. But as the years have gone by and we talked about it, I said, hey, what do you think about that decision I made? Did I miss it? Because I, I, I could miss it. Did I miss it? He said, you know, no, I'm glad I did that. I needed that time. Great. you got to leave space or, or your kids are not going to know. I, I'm haunted by a story in Scripture um, King David had a son named Adonijah who was going to do this scandalous thing that was going to embarrass the entire royal family. And Scripture gives us an insight on how they got to, how would a son act in such a way to embarrass and ruin his whole family? 1 Kings 1.6 tell us, His father had never rebuked him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Nothing worse than a spoiled child that's handsome, right? That's even worse. I want to read it in 1 Kings in the message so you can hear it a different way. His father had spoiled him rotten as a child, never once reprimanding him. I thought, what an indictment on a dad. That, that not one time you were so busy. David was a phenomenal king. But he was so busy being a good king, he was a terrible parent. And I just want you to just counsel you today and say, if you don't make space, nobody else is going to. You can be a phenomenal success in every category of life, but if you don't make space to parent, it's not going to happen. And I, and I just want to look at King David's life 
who we hail as one of the greatest patriarchs of faith in all the Bible. But, he, but he, at times, he was a terrible dad. And I just want to say particularly to you dads, don't let that be you. You've got a choice. Don't let it be you. Make space where you can make space. So I just want to end the message today and give you a, a, this idea of limits. If you go ahead and put the, the picture of the books up, here's a couple of books I'd recommend to you that are phenomenal in the topic of limits and boundaries. There's boundaries, boundaries for kids. I think boundaries for teens now. It gives you a lot of incredible thought about how do we set boundaries, keep boundaries, what boundaries matter, which ones don't, and, and a lot of that. So I want to encourage you to look that up. But um, before we leave this morning, I just want to end with a, with a challenge, okay? And I, I want to particularly challenge you dads, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how to challenge moms so well. I want to challenge dads. I want to challenge you to be the spiritual leader. I want to challenge you to not make the spiritual work of the home your wife's job alone. I want to challenge you to take up that role and, and participate. And um, look, at our church, we have over 100 kids and youth leaders and workers. And every week, we are busting it to provide the best kids and youth. I think we got the best in Shelby County. That's my opinion. We're busting it through the best we can week in and week out. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Epic, Epic Middle, Critterland, you know, Big City, everything. But when I hear from our youth and kids workers and I say, hey, where, what's the greatest challenge you, you face in doing ministry at our church? And they say, I wish there was some way that we could communicate to parents how important it is for their kids to be involved and engaged in the youth and kids ministries because I don't think they see what we see oftentimes we'll see a, a student or a child doing really good with God and then they hit and miss and we don't see them for a while and they come back and they almost always come back the same way worse off spiritually and so I wish there was just some way we could explain to parents how important it is that they have their kids here I'll give you one, one last story and, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. One of, our, one of our best kids workers in our church, leaders, was having a conversation with a parent they knew very well. And the parent was saying, you know, I'm having this trouble with my kids and I don't know what to do and they don't know what to do. And I thought the insight was so profound, I've never heard this. She said to the mom, well, one of the challenges you have is your kids aren't at church very much. But when you were a child, you were. And you have a foundation they don't have. So when you get to a crisis point, you know where to fall back to, but they don't because they don't have the same foundation that you do because they're rarely here. Now that's tough medicine, right? I know, I know where we live. We live in very, very busy times. And our culture is not encouraging you to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus anymore. Which means the only way we're going to live this Christian life and have a Christian family is go against the culture. There's some ways we're going to have to live different than the culture lives. So I just want to challenge you, dads particularly, 
that you take that role in your family and say, I don't care that it's pretty outside and the lake's calling, and I don't care that there's an NFL playoff game today. I don't care. Today, we're going to go to church, and we're going to talk about God in our home, and we're going to pray, you know, before we eat and at other times. I can't explain to you the difference for 25 years I've youth pastored and pastored and worked with children and kids and families and parents and I can almost predict to you where the difference is going to come. I can almost predict it. Not totally accurate but mostly. And it has a lot to do with the spiritual engagement of the families. Your kids want to be here. So I just encourage you, do your best, lock them in. If you could do everything you needed to do without the church, Jesus would have never created one. Right? Okay. Come on, stand with me. I'm not mad at you. I don't, I, don't want it to, I don't want to end that way. I can't say anything else. I just want to tell you from my heart what I hear from our 100 youth and kids workers. And they're doing a great job, and we appreciate them. And you parents are doing a great job. If you didn't care about your kids, you wouldn't be here today. And so today, I want to pray for you. And then we're going to end and sing half a song. The name of the song is Jesus at the center of it all. And what I want your prayer today to be, and I'll tell you what my prayer is, God, I want my family to be centered in you. I want you to be the middle of my family. Lord, I thank you today for every mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And everybody in the room is a child of somebody. So we understand this whole relationship of family and parents and God, I'm asking that you'd stretch a blessing. I'm asking that you would stretch strength and courage and peace. And, and, uh, and I pray those that are wounded in their family, that healing would begin today. And God, as we reach out to center our life in you, God, I just pray supernatural work would be done in the marriage and the family and the home. And Lord, we bless today and we don't curse and we affirm and strengthen. God, I pray you'd make us stronger because of it today. In Jesus' name. Would you sing this song as we go and just let it be your prayer? Lord, help us. Help us today.
Next Sunday night, we have the Boundaries in Technology uh, training on uh, Sunday night for families. I, while we were just singing, I, I, I want to say one more thing to dads. I just felt like the Lord put something in my heart. I did not say this first service. I think it's for some group of dads in this room, and I, I just feel impressed by the Lord to say it. Some of you heard my challenge and said, I would love to do that, but I, I just don't know how, and I can't do it. I didn't grow up that way, and I don't know how to be spiritual. I just want to say a word to you from the Lord. You can do it. I don't care what your background was. If I can do it, you can do it. Because I, I have given things to my kids that were not given to me. And they came from God. So I just want to speak a word of encouragement to you dads. Man, you can. You just don't have to be a hero tomorrow. Just take one step. So I just want to speak a word of affirmation and faith to you. Whatever doubt popped up in your mind when I was talking, I want to push back on that in faith and say, in Jesus' name, you can be the dad he wants you to be. I guarantee it. So I speak a word of encouragement to you dads today. Hey, thanks for coming today. God bless you. It's been a great day. See you next Sunday.